Hello and welcome to season three of the Growth Adventure Podcast. I am your host, Andrew Appel. I am excited to be joined by a longtime co-collaborator in the field of all things podcasting and, and webinaring, Andrea Brummett, who is founder and CEO of Ready HR and president and CEO of the Pabulum Group, something of a serial entrepreneur. Andrea, welcome. Thank you so much. I'm super excited to be here with you. Likewise, look forward to seeing where this conversation takes us. So right off the bat, I got to ask, so what was it that a young Andrea said, HR, that's my passion? Oh, no, that's not how it happened, Andrew, at all. <laughs> it actually was a, and it's too long of a story for this length of podcast, but it actually was out of despising what I was uh, witnessing in the world of HR. So fun fact, I went to school for architecture initially. I clearly failed in that adventure although I still have a huge passion for it. I got focused on business and interior design. When I left college, went to work for my father, which I, I swore I would never do in the recruiting industry. So he was kind of on the front end of, at the time, what was called RPO, recruitment process outsourcing, working with some big players in town. And ultimately I had some exposure to a lot of, a lot of big corporate C-suite behavior specifically as it relates to the way HR was, was working in those entities. And I just was a little flabbergasted, naive and flabbergasted and wanted to do it a different way. Felt like the, the, the role that people played in workplaces had a lot of work to be done to it. And so with a, a kind of an entrepreneurial spirit, I was always going to end up starting a business if we, if we, do my family lineage. It, it's definitely somehow in the blood. I don't know exactly how that works, but we have a habit of it on both sides of the family. And that was the first opportunity I saw. It just was that I didn't like the way it was being done, wanted to do it differently and started to do so. So I say I was young and dumb enough at 24 years of age to start a business. And that's probably the only reason that I am, I'm in my 17th, 18th year of business now because of the you know, just the naivete of a young 20 year old making it through some pretty, pretty outlandish business decisions initially. that <laughs> I just, you know, di didn't have the sense that I needed to be as concerned about as I would now. Well, you gave me a lot of threads to pull on there that we're going to start to start to explore, <laughs> but I'm speaking for a friend here. There's nothing wrong with family businesses. So just, just saying, yes. speaking for a friend. <laughs> that's right. That's right. So the, the first thing that I want to go to is you said that you know, you, you, your initial kind of educational and instinct was around architecture, interior design, which is really at the essence, it's about how people interact with spaces and the way spaces make people feel, correct? That's absolutely correct. Yes. And, you know, I think some HR people would probably agree with this, some would disagree, but in a lot of ways, I mean, there are a lot of similarities between spaces and the way spaces make people feel and inspire people to work as well as what probably good HR should. Is that a fair statement? It's a totally fair statement. And I love that you picked up on that thread because it is kind of the consistent thread of my life is, is that feeling. How do, we, how do we feel when we show up in any given circumstances to people, to places, to workplaces, to social events? And so it, it does really play out. And I appreciate that you draw, you, you drew the line there because it is a consistent theme. And I, I'm sure if family hears this, will say how often I say, it matters to me how it feels to walk into the room. You spend too much time thinking about the way things are set up, but it matters to me the way it feels, the way it feels 
So yeah, it's, that's a, you definitely hit the nail on the head there. Well, I had a, I, on a personal note, I had an opportunity to spend some time down in Columbus, Indiana a couple of weeks back. And every time I go there, I am just struck by the vision of the Cummins Foundation, of the Miller family, about the importance of design and architecture to not just the community, but the workplaces. So I appreciate you kind of expounding on that. So, but getting back to kind of the entrepreneurial journey. So you said, you know, at 24 years old, you'd had enough experience around big corporations to say, there's got to be a better way. But as you self-admitted, you didn't have an education really or a background in HR. So I guess one, what did you feel like, or I guess let's start with one, what did you feel like you were going to bring to the market and who did you see as kind of your initial target market as a 24 year old who would be talking to people and probably being honest and saying, no, I don't have a background in HR, but this is what I'm going to bring. Yeah. And, and, you know, I was lucky enough to have the clientele at the time to have a connection to another small business that I knew had some needs around HR that we were in the recruiting business, kind of blurring the line between recruiting and HR. So uh, really um, in hindsight, as a business owner, if my son ever works for me, I probably would have as much of a problem with this as my father did at the time, although we've reconciled this issue. It was probably not appropriate for me to start my business the way that I did, but it was with a, a, a recruiting client of my father's business that I set out and built my HR business on. And it was just because there was a need that existed and I hustled with them kind of got my feet wet on, in, in learning that small business HR. Oh, really, honestly, Andrew was essentially outsourced as a solopreneur, figuring out HR and just really diving into it, which is not an unusual trait for me in terms of just learning something for the sake of being able to, to, to apply it to an immediate need. But then building that, really finding that I was more interested in the full business than I was in HR. And so building my own business upon, you know, the, the lessons that I was learning there and very quickly grew it. So within six months had added an additional client and just started over, you know, the next two, three years, really working on what does business development look like? What is the bookkeeping element of running a, a business look like learning that you do in fact need to pay taxes, that it is not <laughs> a free ride. <laughs> So, you know, just a, a lot of small business lessons there, getting connected to a CEO community and a network of people that I, that, you know, I'm still incredibly grateful that I got to lean on, especially at that age to fast track my knowledge of, or, or my experience and knowledge of, of how to do um, this entrepreneurial game well over time in a, in a way that, you know, the sustained growth can have an impact and make a difference in the community. Awesome. And for all the IRS enforcement agents listening to this podcast, <laughs> Andrea is current on her taxes. So no need, you, you don't need to ask any other questions. So I, I've, before we get to Lesson kind of- learned early on. <laughs> before we get to the growth of, of your endeavors, the, both Pabulum as well as then subsequently Ready HR, I, I want to kind of get to two questions from an entrepreneur standpoint. One, I guess, is more of advice you would have for somebody- who's looking to make that leap from something known, right? So a job and kind of a air quote established company is something that's known to, man, my passion is really doing something new. So what would you say to, to that person as they're making the journey? And then the kind of the follow-on question, which is something that 
not just all entrepreneurs, but I think all leaders struggle with at a certain point is at a certain point you hire somebody yeah. and that person by definition is going to be doing something that you used to do. And how, how, how do you, how do you create that own internal journey to allow them to thrive? So kind of two questions for you to, to kind of expound on. Yeah. And it's hard to kind of connect to that initial, it's hard to disconnect from owning all of those pieces of the business when, when you've, you know, they've every single one of them have been your baby for so long. But for me, I truly hated a couple of parts of what being a single business owner involved related to the bookkeeping and the accounting. I wasn't good at it. My brain's not built for it. I, I was just avoiding it. You know, I was depleting my energy. So therein lies for me, the answer, if it's not giving you energy, then you ultimately probably need to figure out how to get it off your plate because you're going to end up resenting your business. And there are so many people that go out to start a business. And I think, and you know, we've likely had this conversation with lots of people, but you start a business based on a passion and then you begin to resent the business because you never get to do what you're passionate about. And that happens so often with folks and even, you know, friends that have built multiple businesses talk about here. I am I'm back. I'm back here again. You know, I, I, I'm back stuck in a business that I'm not getting, I'm not getting to do the things that I want to do. So it's not easy and it takes a lot of discipline, but I would say, you know, that's that piece of advice. If it's not giving you energy, get it off your plate as soon as you can. And, you know, it may feel uncomfortable and scary to, to, to make that jump and that leap into, you know, having somebody else on the payroll. And it is scary for sure. And that's, that's a whole nother podcast, but I, I, I don't think people regret it very often and it will open up the opportunity, you know, for what's, what's there when you open up that space and you create it for yourself to go do what you really do, what you really are passionate about and have energy for. Awesome. Well, thank you. So fast forwarding now, 17 years later from seeing a need, knowing that you didn't want to be doing what you're doing. No offense to your father. I'm sure he's a wonderful person uh, he is indeed. to, to now, you know, leading two different companies I guess my next question is, this is a little bit like asking which, you know, which is your favorite child, but what do you get more satisfaction from? Is it supporting your team members and encouraging their growth or is it solving a problem for a client? That is a really good question. To me, they're related. So it's not to avoid answering the question but I think a lot of our business growth internally is how we solve those problems for clients. So I probably am not in the space that I get a ton of energy from executing the work anymore. It's very rare that I'll actually get into the work or meddle in the way that anybody is doing the work. I, that, that lesson feels like one that I've permanently learned, but we do continually have kind of issues or, or perceived problems or, or root causes really is what we always drive down to that always needs solved. And I do find that I really enjoy, even if it's on a client by client basis, kind of getting in and getting into the weeds with our team on those things. And that ultimately to me is where we find opportunity to grow, to be better, to move the business forward, to serve in a different way, to serve better, which is, which is what for me, I'm constantly working on is how can we serve our end user and our client and our community ultimately better. Awesome. Well, we are going to get back to both Ready HR and the Pabulum Group at the end, but quick question before I segue to the, the next kind of topic I wanted to address. 
who would you describe is your ideal client? Like what is the demographic or is there not one that, you know, captures everything? Yeah, we definitely have, we definitely have a demographic and it probably spans both companies. And I would describe it as size wise, we are focused on a small business community. So in generalities, that's a 500 employees and under, but our probably the biggest, what makes up the biggest part of our client base is 25 to 150. And then we've got a lot of outliers, but that 25 to 150 space and the ownership or the leadership really does want to connect to their people. They want to figure out how to do this thing right. And that means beyond just the soft skill stuff, it means that we support our teams with the right technology, that we wrap services around them that are actually productive. And we really engage in, in the people relationship component of being an employer. So those are the relationships that we, I really go look for because it's where we really thrive. And, and, you know, it, the industry doesn't necessarily matter. You can have, you can be, you can have that makeup in any industry. A lot of our clients do know that they're going to grow. So they're either on a growth track, which makes it really exciting because we're feeding into that growth strategy, or they've gotten to where they, you know, really wanted to grow from a people perspective and are looking to grow in their markets, which means we can really dig into the populations that they have. But that's ultimately what, what we ideally target. We don't always get that get to be that specific, but ideally. So you're a, you're an entrepreneur supporting other entrepreneurs. Absolutely. For sure. That's where the passion lies. And I've always, as my own editorial side note, I've always chafed at the federal government's definition of small business, because whether you're leading a 25 person company or a 500 person company, God, it feels like a lot of work and it doesn't feel small. So 100%. So this is more asking you to opine a bit, but, you know, one thing that I've kind of grown a little bit hmm, irritated, it's an overstatement, but there is a lot of teeth gnashing, I would say, in the employer community or certain segments of the employer community about my air quotes, the way things used to be. And, uh. you know, I think that's fine if you're three months in, if you're six months in, but now, over two years later from the reality of white collar work dramatically changing in a very short amount of time, saying the way things used to be is kind of like that, you know, get off my lawn, you whippersnapper person sitting on the front porch. <laughs> I, I, my personal feeling is I don't know where, where we will land, but I just know it's not going to be what it was. So all we can do is look forward and figure out what is the best way, but are you seeing any trends in your client base that, you know, the, the employees and employers are kind of mutually groping in the dark and figuring out what works best? Absolutely. But I do think that that's specific to remember when you said, what's the ideal target client, the, that a lot of our population is made up of people who want to be in exploration of what's going to work, mm -hmm. not rooted in something for the sake of a social norm. And, you know, I probably like a lot of things that we have going on <laughs> right now, Andrew, could personally say that it's an irritating feeling also. I think over time I've built the discipline to have compassion for it because what, what we do see is that the people that are stuck in that, well, ugh, the way things used to be, and that was working for me, <laughs> you know, that was working for me. There's, this is a difficult transition. 
it is a really difficult tr transition to up, up, upend a social norm that is so deeply ingrained. And by the way, that we, I don't love this word, but that we collectively are a little bit gaslit, gaslighted about because economies depend on it. We need people in buildings. Why do we need people in buildings? Because commercial real estate needs to make its money. And why does commercial real estate need to make its money? Because that's where communities develop. We can't have a bunch of empty businesses. The city of Indianapolis does not want that. Follow the money, follow who benefits. And there are some legitimate reasons in there that we can't, we can't untether ourselves from. But it's not a both, it's not an either or, it's a both and. And I really think that the future of employment is really kind of addressing people's individual needs at a more micro level. We are getting to the point in technology in terms of the way that we administratively support benefits and the things that we offer and compensation and flexibility that I think we can start to target people's individual needs a little bit more and stop employing with these big overarching themes of, I need your butt in a seat. I need you in an office. I need you here from this time to this time. I need it for this many hours. This is what you're going to wear. Your benefits are going to be for you, not your dog. You know, whatever, whatever the case may be, we can get pretty outlandish here. But I do not think that the future path of employment, that it's that hard to envision a world where we really target more individual needs and, and don't have so much resentment about it. That is a little bit of a privileged statement because there's obviously some industries that that's not going to work in. Human beings have to show up, their bodies have to show up to some work. And so, you know, I think it's important to recognize that those businesses will have to operate with, with some norms that not everybody gets to operate with or that not that not everybody has to operate with, but I, I truly believe that's the future of employment. I hope it's the future of employment. When my, my two cents is those that move faster on that are probably going to have a significant advantage for a period of time until the rest of the employer population catches up. But one addition there, you know, we just came out of being local, most of us local employers that were behaving in a local market by local market norms. And the fact of the matter is, at least for my business and a lot of our clients' businesses, we're now at least in a national market, if not a global market of ability, not only for the people around us to go find other jobs, but for us to employ people. So I've got people now employed all over the country. And there are some difficulties to that, but there are also some giant advantages to that. But it did upend the way that we were doing business locally because and when I say market, I mean compensation market, benefits market, who we were competing with as an employer changed overnight. And to really embrace that and not try to resist that that's the reality, changed the way that we were able to move with the flow and stay on top of the tide as opposed to, you know, stuck in the current, I, I, you know, drowning in the current. It certainly gave entrepreneurs a whole new set of issues to consider that Frankly, none of us are structured like a Fortune 500 company to be able to have a centralized compensation and benefit right. equalization across the you know across the country across the, across the globe. So, so since this is yeah. a insurance and risk management related podcast, I have to ask, and I know this is probably not your favorite part of HR, but it is a very important part of HR. And you know, for your for your 500 person clients, I sincerely hope you have a full-time HR generalist, at least on staff. If you don't, man, yes. I feel yeah. you're, there's yeah. a train coming for you, but you know, probably for your 
let's say your, your clients in that sub 100 space where yeah. I think just anecdotally, that seems to be the part of the market that, you know, maybe you have a payroll person, maybe you have somebody who has a little bit of HR background or, you know, is Googling things, maybe talking to you. There's a huge risk management component to what HR does. And, yes. you know, we would all aspire that HR is spending a lot of their time, you know, proactively either recruiting or working on culture or doing these, these things that, you know, listening to talk are, are certainly huge passions. But, you know, if you're not taking care of the nuts and bolts side of, you know, the HR field, whether you know it or not, you are setting yourself up for a huge issue at some point. Would you maybe kind of just Absolutely. briefly touch on, well, this isn't the doom and gloom portion of the podcast, but maybe briefly touch on the importance of, of HR in helping protect and ensure business integrity. Absolutely. I think, you know, that like, so I'm going to go use an architectural reference here. There are parts of HR that need to be foundational to an employment relationship. So if you have decided I will employ people, you are now bound to some norms and some, you know, this is the compliance side of the business that I don't get super fired up about, but it's a, a necessary evil. So those foundational pieces, there's no reason in there, there's absolutely no reason to work on the people relationship side of the business until you have hunkered that side of the business down, until you have laid a solid foundation, until you have locked all of your framing pieces in, there's absolutely no reason to, to focus on how the rest of the, of the structure looks and feels. So those are the pieces that you're talking about. It's the risk management pieces. It's, you know, making sure that you're invested in the right pieces of the business. Again, I'll start with a sound technology will give you a, a absolute leap into the future in terms of how easy and, and efficient those efforts are. But then, you know, making sure that you've really got somebody who knows what they're doing. Google can be, Google can be very dangerous, like in a lot of parts of our world, in the compliance world. You know, so making sure that you know the resources, it's not that you can't, it's just making sure that you know the sound resources to utilize, that you're, you know, that you're utilizing SHRM. That's a safe place to go, to go find information. But it is, you know, again, it's an investment. You need to pay for that membership. Do that, please. As, at a minimum, do that. But beyond that, there's a lot of critical thinking that needs to happen in the world of HR compliance. Someone who does not know what they don't know, I can't tell you how often we use that phrase, that's the most dangerous part of HR compliance is blind spots. When you don't know what you don't know, and you, you don't have a healthy sense that you don't know what you don't know and have sound resources in order to navigate those issues, that's where businesses get in trouble. So, so those pieces are absolutely essential to then being able, and so handbook, annoying, I get it. Policies, annoying, I get it. I don't like them either, but you got to have them. Employment agreements, everybody needs to have them. We need to have that. That needs to be a norm. A payroll, a sound payroll provider is going to make sure that you've got a, a whole bunch of those pieces taken care of. And again, I'll add a, that should be built on a sound human resource information system. You know, but, and we could go on and on and on. The compliance side of HR is huge, but it is very easy to simplify it if you if you know the right people to go to. And then we get to get into the fun. Uh, sexy side of HR, where we, we can build and develop those relationships as an employer and become someone that people want to come work with, that they want to stay with, you know, that, that you're desired in the community of employment. Well, to, to continue with your architecture and building analogy, focusing on the, the fun stuff and skimping on compliance is like that bad house flip that everything looks amazing inside, but the wiring and the plumbing and the roof and the foundation is not in good shape and you end up paying for it 
many times over. So we will come back though to the services that you provide both at Ready HR and the Pabulum Group, but we're going to pivot here briefly to the lightning round. So I'm going to ask you four questions. There are no wrong answers, only long answers. So the first question is, what would we find on Andrea's car radio? Oh, I am a podcast junkie. So totally love the depth of content content that can be gobbled up in those short periods of time. So if I'm in the car, there's a very high likelihood that it's some podcast. Okay. And kind of keeping with that theme a little bit, what would we find on your bedside table? Always a giant glass of water and a beautiful plant. They, they, those are the essentials. If I'm making space in my time for a recreational book, it may be there. But again, space is super important to me. So, so not a lot. All right. You're the first person to say glass of water, but that is, that is crucial. Okay. So next question, again, no wrong answers, only long answers. Cats or dogs? Dogs. I love all animals, but dogs. Uh, well, again, the highly unscientific lightning round survey, we're probably about 90% dogs, 10% cats. Is that um, right? Yeah, yeah, go figure. I'm not opining, just saying. So last question, this one's a little bit more serious. What is one of the best pieces of advice you've ever been given? Not to give it unless (laughs) expressly asked. And you know what I've learned even then, keep getting curious and hold the space. Even if somebody's really asked you for advice, get curious, hold the space for those people to believe in themselves, to know what's best for themselves. And you know, even when, even when they don't, those lessons are invaluable and necessary. So it's best piece of advice I've ever received is not to give advice. Just keep getting curious for holding the space for that person to kind of take their own, own advice. And that's coming from a, a recovering chronic controller and fixer. So I don't always get that right, certainly, but it is my best and favorite piece of advice. Awesome. Well, so Andrea, before we wrap up here, uh, you've already shared that kind of most of your clients fall in that 25 to 500 employee space, but could you talk a little bit both about Radio HR as well as the Pabulum Group services and where people can learn more? Yeah, absolutely. And thank you for asking. Thanks for giving me that opportunity. The Pabulum Group is ultimately a full service HR consulting firm. We serve clients from two employees to, like I said, 500 employees. From that two to 125 space, we're more often than not serving as those companies' HR team. And that can look like a lot of different things, but ultimately whatever their needs are around HR, we're ultimately fulfilling those. And that business is built up of a huge network of of consultants across the country. Most of them are independent consultants that we have relationships with, that we bring in on projects specifically or in engagements with specific clients. So one of the things that sets us apart a bit is that we're not just plugging and playing consultants that we have that happen to have capacity but we're looking to mat- culturally match consultants with our clients so that they can kind of imagine and use them as someone that they would have otherwise hired, but they're doing so in a way that's affordable and appropriate for their size. So a full-time investment in an HR person at a 25, arguably 50 person company is probably an overinvestment. I know that's going to make a lot of people upset, but that, that's, that's just what we see. And from the Ready HR side, Ready HR is an administrative services organization. So we have a human resource information system that we have licensed and provide to our clients and then build on top of that full service, essentially HR administration. So payroll administration, benefits administration, and HR administration. We don't own 
any benefits. We simply act as the internal administrator of those benefits for clients. And again, don't own any, any, any payroll provider per se, but we act as the payroll administrator for those clients. And then on the HR side, just really work to keep the HR compliance side very sound by managing the way that we first do that in the system and secondarily advise clients. Awesome. Well, thank you very much. So Andrea, it has been wonderful speaking to you again, uh, learning more about Pabulum Group as well as Ready HR, and I look forward to catching up again in the future. This was awesome. Thanks for the opportunity, Andrew. Have a great day. You too.